Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Josh Mann, pastor of Youth Ministries, as he begins. So, do you come to church to learn something or to be reminded of what you already know? You know, I mean, for for some of us in the room, uh, you know, this isn't the first time we've heard these stories, and uh, we we probably have done our homework and and studied, and so we have a sense of how the world works and who God is and what He's doing in the world, and it makes sense of it all. And 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 I find myself at times, you know, tempted to just look for who's ever teaching to just tell me everything I already know and agree with so I, I can feel good about this. And, and, and as soon as you kind of say something I've never heard of or, or go an interesting angle or something, it's like, yeah, I don't know. And uh, it, it, it's, what I'm not saying is that everything you hear from the platform is, is just infallible. But, but what I am saying is that is it possible that your understanding of God and Jesus and yourself from what we have available to us through his word is incomplete. I have experienced that this fall with this series we're in, which is looking at Jesus through the, through the eyes of, of different people who experienced him. And, uh, and you know, I'm pretty pretty old and pretty learned. <laughs> who uses learned? But, uh, so I have this sense of who Jesus is. I could, I could, I've written papers, I've studied uh, on my own, and, and uh, I follow him in my life, and so I've, I've got a grid, and I, I have my way of making sense of scripture in the world, and I know what I believe is awesome, and what's dumb, and I'm probably perfectly right on all of them. You know, give or take. And, uh, but I got to be honest, this study has expanded my understanding of Jesus to the point where I'm like, hmm, interesting. I didn't know that. Have you, have you ever sat down at a family meal or something with someone, someone you, you, you do know well, and then it's talking and they're like, oh yeah. And one time when I was cheerleading in high school, and you're like, you were a cheerleader? I'm like, yeah. You're like, huh. And they're like, what? is that like a big, is that bad? Is that fine? Oh, no, 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 no. I just, hmm. I never knew that. Like, and, and internally, you're like them in your head, you just, you just kind of fill it in a little bit more. Like, okay, now I've got you. You find out your uncle went to school with so-and-so famous. You're like, huh, you're a little bit cooler in my head now. <laughs> okay, good to know. I, I feel like that with, with Jesus, like, interesting. And what essentially this study is doing is, uh, you might be doing it in a Bible study or on your own, uh, but we're taking specific encounters people had with Jesus, and we're just like, in, in an ironic way, focusing on them. And unpacking who who are they? Where do they come from? How do they see the world? What's reality for them? And then once we understand them better, then we go to the interaction they have with Jesus. 
and we kind of look at it from a new angle going, okay, in light of what we learned about them, which the stories are never about them. They're about Jesus. But there actually is significant historical data and, and, and research about nuances in the text and in the words and details in the stories that a casual glance would, would overlook. But if you kind of unpack them, you're like, this is actually kind of a game changer and, and this story takes on a new light. And then we walk away with, with this picture of Jesus going, oh, hmm, I, I, I didn't know that. that. That changes things. So I hope today does that. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I trust and, and hope it will. We're going to jump into Mark 5. This story is told by three different biographers of Jesus. Uh, John left it out, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this story. But what's interesting about this story is the stories don't contradict, but each account has unique details that are only told in one account. And so if you read just the story in one gospel, you will not, you will not get a picture for everything that happened. So... I might be on thin ice, but I checked with, you know, Pastor Steve, and he gave me palpable authority to, uh, to combine the three accounts and to read them as one with every detail uh, in, in each different one as one. So I want you to follow along in Mark 5 because that's the longest and most detailed one. But occasionally I will read something that is not in yours, and you'll be like, And it's either from Luke or Matthew or I'm making it up. One of the three. All right. Mark 5, 24. As Jesus was on his way, a large crowd followed and pressed in around him and almost crushed him. Where's Jesus going? Jesus has just come across from the lake and and a large crowd greeted him. Now, what chapter are we in in Mark? Five. There's 16 in Mark. So we're like at the beginning of the story. So that's significant because there's already a crowd gathered around Jesus. So there, but you, you need to know that this crowd does not know as much as they will know about him. But they do know that he teaches with authority. He drives out demons. He heals the sick. And he's just altogether interesting. And uh, so a large crowd gathers to meet him just to see what's going to happen. And, and up through the crowd comes a synagogue ruler. So there was probably only one synagogue in the city, and this guy could have been president or leader of the synagogue, so he was probably uh, kind of religious authority. He was socioeconomically rich, and uh, he was probably recognizable. And so this is, a, this is a person who's used to wearing the robes and the, kind of the nice and, and the bling-bling, and then he comes to Jesus... And falls on his face and says, my, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. Will you come and touch her and may, maybe heal her? So this, for those, like we, we can just kind of skip that part. But, but if you're in the crowd, you know this guy. Like, this is Jairus. This, this is Jesus. Jairus is on the ground and, and he's just distraught and and begging Jesus to come. And so Jesus says, sure, let's go. This is a, a life and death hanging in the balance kind of a moment. And so they hurry 
to Jairus' house, and it says this large crowd follows him to see what's going to happen, and it pressed in around him and almost crushed him. So there's this sense of like the stadium just let out, and there's a massive amount of people, and it's just shoulder to shoulder, and it's close, and this is where the story starts. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Okay, let's unpack what this means. Twelve years of bleeding. Researchers believe that what she was experiencing was called menorrhagia. Uh, It probably started at puberty, so maybe 11, 12, 13. And... uh, and it continued for 12 years. So, so half her life, she's probably 25 years old. And, and this isn't like, you know, oh no. Uh, you know, like you just kind of deal with it and, and continue on with life. This is, this is fundamentally will turn your life upside down. It's, it has radical implications associated with this issue. Because the, it was not 2010 where we've got you know, hygiene products and antibiotics and this and this and this. This is first century, dusty, dirty, don't bathe every day, Middle East. And so it's, it's a different ballgame then. So, G, so God spoke commandments to the people on a variety of topics because he had to keep his people alive in a period where, the, you know, there's not this, 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 and this, just at the corner Walgreens. And so a lot of the commandments God gave were moral and ethical, and many were like civil to, to help them understand what to do when this happens. And some of them were, were, were almost like health-related or logistical. So we know in Leviticus uh, 15, here's a little more than you wanted to know, uh, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies and everything on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anything she touches that anyone else also touches renders them unclean. And that's not just like, that word doesn't have a lot of meaning to us. Because we live in a world with daily showers and we're just clean freaks. We've got Purells on every corner and, you know, and, but, but unclean was a very clear label that designated what you could and couldn't do, where you could and couldn't go, and who you could and couldn't associate with. So for, for someone to be made unclean by touching her, bumping into her, any, anything would, would, would make them require to spend the rest of the day separated from everyone and to go to kind of this ritual process to get clean, to take a shower they wouldn't have otherwise done, to, to, to bathe. So she had to be removed from any place that would come into regular contact with people for 12 years. She probably never got married because 
that, you know, producing offspring was, was a primary purpose for getting married. And uh, she couldn't, nor, nor could any man have relations with her. So she probably never got married. If she did get married, it was grounds for divorce. It was, it was legitimate grounds for divorce if, if this was happening. And so in this day and age that we're reading the story, women didn't have anywhere near a reasonable or acceptable, in God's eyes, access to, 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 to anything, to inheritance, to property, to, uh, to family stuff. And so this woman can't earn a living, does not have a husband to support her, is beyond the age of her parents taking care of her. She spent all that she had on doctors. She has to be isolated from anyone or anything that they could come into contact with so as not to do this. This is the woman who finds herself where? In a crowd. (sighs) You know better. You're not supposed to be there. This woman in crowds. No. But what's interesting is it says in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus... She came, dot, 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 dot. When she heard about Jesus, this little caveat really stands out to me because this is, an, this, is, this is a messy story. It's easy to read the Bible and feel like this is full of a neat and tidy, theoretical, idealistic account of a couple events that may or may not have any bearing on the mess of life you and I are intimately familiar with. You and I live in a world where the first time rarely goes well. You know, when you do this, it doesn't go as you expected. You know, it's this principle for relationships, and yet relationships are just like incessantly difficult and and complex, even when you do know some principles. And and so sometimes you can read these stories and be like, oh, you know, cute. Uh, but it's not that way in real life. But what, what, what I like about this story is when she heard about Jesus, someone in her isolated world, someone had heard or seen or experienced Jesus in some way. And by simply mentioning it, this woman takes, takes of her own initiative it upon herself to, to take it from there. She had heard him mention. She had heard a couple of things. And so, I, I know that in today's society that, that it's, it's, it's no more politically or socially proper and acceptable to drop the Jesus bomb in regular conversation than it, than it was in this day. I mean, this guy is, is going to be crucified for things he did and said, and his closest followers are going to be like, Jesus who? <gasps> uh-uh. What? And so that continues today to a certain extent, but do not underestimate the significance of simply Mentioning and acknowledging Jesus as you talk about your life with the people in your life. Over lunch, at work, as they ask you about your holidays. 
at school, in class, in a study group, when they ask you about your plans, when they ask you about your story, in your family and friends' email at the end of the year talking about what each of your kids did. And at some point, someone referenced Jesus, and that launched her in a direction. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch the, his clothes, a different version says, if I just touch the edge of his garment, I will be healed. Okay, let's, let's, let's look at this. Did Jairus come to Jesus' front or his back? His front. And he's in a moment of desperation and, and just, you know, pleading for his daughter's life. And so he comes to the front. He gets Jesus' attention. He asks Jesus a question. He's, it's almost like the sense of, that's appropriate. Like he didn't just drag Jesus, you know, or, or, or try to take him. He goes to his front. But this woman approaches Jesus from the back. She's unclean. Jesus is the epitome of, of clean. Jesus knows the rules. Jesus knows the designations. Those are appropriate to a certain extent. They have their place. And she approaches Jesus from the back. So she's literally just all up in people's grill, trying to get from the outside of a crowd, however big you'd imagine that, to the inside of the crowd where Jesus is. So she's a weak woman who's been sick for years, and she's just pushing people out of the way, just, you know, moving in and, and, and just refuses to let anything stand in the way. And so her boldness, to one extent, gets her through the crowd, but her shame has her heading to the back. And she's saying, one Greek verb that is used to describe this is, as she was saying, or she kept saying, which is... If I just touch the edge of his garment, I'll be healed. If I just touch the edge of his garment, I'll be healed. If I just, just determined to reach down and touch the edge of his garment. Now, why the edge of his garment? Here's why. There's this randomly interesting part of numbers in a book that's otherwise, you know, just about numbers. And uh, Numbers 15, we're, we're going we're, we're to explore this thing. This is fascinating. Numbers 15, God has given the, the Israelites his commandments, his, a list of specifically 613 things to do and don't do. These are the moral, ethical, spiritual, social, physical kind of do's and don't do's. Well, people were having a hard time remembering the commandments. And, and to disregard the commandments was to, was, was to miss life and would, would lead to eventual death. And so people were dying unnecessarily because they couldn't remember what the commandments were. And so I love this. This is God in a moment of incredible practicality. He says, nah, this isn't good. They're just dropping like flies. It's like you, you, you just plant these things in their heart and they, and they recite them to themselves. And then it's like, look, a bird. And, you know, just... He goes, okay, I'll work with your look, a bird kind of syndrome here. So he literally says, okay, I'm going to accessorize your garments. Yeah, I'm just going to, you know, bedazzle them a little bit. So he says to Moses, Numbers 15, The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, 
You are to make tassels on the corner of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. Kind of frayed, slight angle, you know. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, so that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then, when you see them, you will remember to obey the commands of the Lord. Isn't this interesting? It's like a post-it note on their clothes. So everywhere they went, oh yeah, oh yeah. So tassels, by definition, when you walked, would kind of like dance, and they would catch your eye. Every 13-year-old boy and older would have them on the outer garment at the end. And every morning, the Israelites, for thousands of years, would say the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word to hear. And so you, you need to know that, that, you know, duh, they didn't have alarm clocks and little bedside devotional books to, uh, to, to reflect on. And so it was an oral culture. So every morning and every night, the Israelites would repeat a specific phrase that would kind of get their mind right, you know, and focus, remind them about what's important. One quarter of the Shema that every Israelite would say at the morning and at night is what I just read to you. It was that central. So they start with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Da, 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 da. You will make tassels on the end of your garments. When you see them, you will remember to obey the commands of the Lord so you will not prostitute yourselves by going after the lust of your heart and your flesh. So Jesus had tassels on the end of his garments. Fast forward a couple hundred years and the prophet Micah, Micah 4.2, would prophesy about the Messiah. It said, The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. The Hebrew word for wings as it is used there, is the exact same word for corner of your garment or tassel. We sang a song, Christmas Eve service, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. One of the ends of the verses is, Risen with healing in his wings. It was prophesied that Jesus, the extension, the furthest most reaches of his garments would contain this abundance of power and authority found uniquely in Jesus. And so this girl, every day and every night for, for her life, has recited this. She knows this. And probably growing up, when she heard the prophets being read and taught, she, she heard this. And when she heard about Jesus, something must have clicked in her mind that this sounds like the Messiah. No doubt there was confusion and curiosity. Does this guy have a dad? What's he from? I thought the Messiah was going to come from there. I think he's it. How else could he do this? And she, in her heart, believes and she goes, if I just touch his tassel, I'll be healed. And so she pushes her way through the crowd. She pushes her way through the crowd. She reaches down behind him, touches the tassel. And Mark says, immediately, instantly, she was healed. Another little language quirk. Why are we talking so much about Greek and Hebrew? Well, the Bible wasn't written in English. And so every word we have is like a, the, the best, closest thing we had to the original word. And for those of you who know more than one language, you know that they're not perfect like back and forth. Some of you know there's this phrase or this concept in Spanish that is said this way, and there's just no real equivalent in English. So I have to say this, but it doesn't really quite get at it. 
So when, when, when this passage uses the word healing a couple different times in the story, it's translated healing every time in the story. But in the Greek, the original language, it, there's different words for different parts of the healing. And so when they would read it and listen to it, their mind would go different places than ours go. Ours go to healing. And so when she's coming, and Mark says that she'd been sick and suffered uh, and was looking to get better, she, but, but could not get better, that word healing is therapeo, which is like therapy, and that's healing in a physical sense. But when she comes, so it says no one could heal her therapeo. When she comes to Jesus... She's saying, if I just touch his tassel, I will be healed. If I just touch his tassel, I'll be healed. That word healed is sozo. And that word is this emotional, spiritual, physical, wholeness, restoration. This word is used for salvation. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be sozo. So it's a specific issue that brings this woman to Jesus. But she's hoping... That maybe in him there's, there's, there's even more than just this issue. No doubt she's experienced this issue's effects in all of her life. She's not able to go to the temple. She's relationally isolated. She's emotionally exhausted. She's sexually dysfunctional. She's physically broken. Maybe he can make me whole. So when she touches it, it says she was immediately healed. Which healed? Therapeo healed. Physically, she was strong. And she felt it. And so she must have been like, oh, oh my goodness. And she's just like getting out of the hair. And Jesus, it says, immediately knew that power had gone out from him. And he asked, who touched me? It's this interesting mix of Jesus' humanity where he knows one thing and doesn't know another. I, I know power went out from me. Who touched me? And Peter's like, good one, right? <laughs> Seriously, bro? Is that a joke? That's kind of funny. That's kind of funny. Big crowd, who touched me? Uh, but he, he stops. Where are they on their way to? A life and death situation. And he stops. Who touched me? Who touched me? The word he's using for touch is not like bump into. It's the word he uses every time we read, and he touched their eyes and they were healed. And he touched the coffin and the boy was raged. And he touched, it's that touch. Who touched me? Gets quiet. It says, everyone denied it. The woman, who was hiding behind a piano, It says, seeing that she could not go unnoticed. And you've got to imagine, she hears this as she's walking away. Shoot, 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 shoot. Oh, shoot. This just went from really, really bad to really good to really bad again. <laughs> Everyone's going to know I just touched. Oh, no, 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 no. I got what I needed. I got what I wanted. No. Seeing that she could go unnoticed. She comes back to his front and with fear and trembling falls on her face and apologizes. Jesus must be ticked. 
in the presence of all the people, she told him the whole truth. Why she had touched him. How she had been instantly healed. And everyone in the in everyone in this crowd immediately has the, the reaction everyone has when you realize what are you doing here? Ah. Like the, everyone's day's plans are, are, are gone, ruined. And, and she just reveals the extent to which she touched Jesus and now he's, he's unclean. And she's just... But she, she tells her whole story. All of it. And Jesus says to her, Daughter, Daughter. You know how many times Jesus says daughter to a woman in, in, in the Gospels? Jesus hung out with Mary and, and Martha and lots of women. Do you know how many times he said daughter? Once. To the most socially isolated, unclean woman, he says the most intimate word, daughter. He probably touched her again. He said, your faith has healed you. Sozo. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She was physically healed. She came back and in front of Christ's body and in front of the witnesses, she tells the whole truth. The shameful, separate me, unacceptable truth. And he gives her even more. What she originally thought, if I just touch him, maybe I will be so so. Yes, if anyone touches Jesus with faith, they will be whole. Look, these stories don't all end cute where everyone loves Jesus and prays the prayer and, you know, puts the Jesus fish on their donkey's butt and goes on with their life. No, like people that day, like, this is so wrong. This is so, 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 so wrong. You just violated age-old covenants and traditions. No. And that woman, who probably is on the ground, just weeping with joy as the crowd slowly makes its way away. You know, it didn't really matter what she looked like in their eyes at that moment because the first time she saw what she looked like in his. And when you know who you are in his eyes, you know, it doesn't quite seem to matter as much what we are in, in anyone else's. If that's you, if, if you're that woman who's had a condition that's rendered you to the, to the degree that people are aware of it, socially unacceptable, physically broken, emotionally exhausted, sexually dysfunctional. You tried everything. May you find in this woman a boldness within that led to peace throughout. May you... May you see in her a pursuit of Jesus to learn about him, to pursue him, to find him. But not only that, 
to when he turned around and faced her to be willing to let him know you. To be fully honest, fully authentic with what is true about who you are. And in that moment, may you see in her a woman who experienced what many with her same condition will never experience. There are many who, are, who could be freed, who won't be freed, who could be forgiven, who won't be forgiven. There are people who are dying to be released from something. And the, and the baby that was born ultimately dies to release them from that something, and yet some will never experience that. They will never be in proximity to Christ's body. They will never hear about Jesus. They will never find faith to approach him from the front, the side, the back, whatever. And they will never fully be honest with themselves, his body, or even him, with the truth of who they are. May we see in her that the burden on our back is no match for one faith-filled touch of his. Some of you are married to this woman, this man. This is a a sibling or a son or a daughter. And the debilitating effects of this condition have spilled over into your life. And you didn't ask for this, and you didn't sign up for this, and you don't deserve this. This costs you something. You're not sure how you feel about your proximity to this person. It could even threaten your reputation simply being associated with them. May you find in Jesus an example of a God who has enough grace to not run from or to avoid, but to, but to pursue and to find. Because here's what happened with this girl. This did not happen in her life outside of another human being in her presence, listening, participating with, identifying with, and being the vessel through which her eventual healing would come. This did not happen in a room by herself or, or in a vacuum. This happened in the presence of someone else who reflected in his eyes the value and the worth and the forgiveness Of the Father. And it cost him something. And he'd do it again. He did it for you and he did it for me. Their healing is not dependent on you. But it may come through you. This isn't a call to codependency or to a life without boundaries, but it is a call to a life without abandonment. And as a church, you see, Jesus could be in one place at one time. So why did he leave? Lord knows that she's not the only one who who needed his touch. He left because he did what he came to do, what only he could do. He did everything possible to give us right relationship to the Father. He did everything possible to give us access to the same spirit by which he drove out demons and healed the sick. He gives us access to his authority over everything. And he sends us out into 4,000 places in, in one time. 
with, with scars of wounds that we've been healed from and scabs of wounds we need healing for. With sin, we have victory over and sin we struggle with. With faith in what we know and doubts and things we wrestle about. With things we're, we're thankful for and things we're trusting for. You and I are Christ's body walking through crowds on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, all across this city. And is there still healing in his wings? Is there still healing in his reach? If someone comes up to us, are we interruptible? Are we touchable? I I think those in that crowd looked at Jesus a little differently after this incident, and I can't help but do the same. If she was up here, what would she say? What was he like? I think she'd say he was interruptible. He was touchable for anyone, even me. And I came for an issue. And I got everything I needed and more. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we're, we're torn with the same thing she was torn with. Of at one time wanting to be released from and keep hidden the exact same thing. Of not wanting to fully admit to ourselves or to a community of your body the whole truth. We want acceptance and belonging and yet there's, there's legitimate, serious things in our lives that prevent it from being possible. Or so the enemy would like us to believe. May we see in you, Jesus, what Laura talked about. May we see eyes from the Father that looks on the most unsuspecting of people and sees what is, what is really there. Son, her daughter. Oh God, may we find you and touch you and be a vessel through which you say to people, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. May it be in your name. You have been listening to Josh Mann, pastor of Youth Ministries at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.